thank the baby Jesus. It's Friday. Um, a couple of days off for us. It's McCowan. It's a Shannon. But people can listen to the podcast on the weekend. I don't care. Oh, I do. The issue isn't what they're doing. The issue is what I'm doing. Are you playing golf? Well, I don't know that yet. I don't, oh. I don't have any specific plans to play oh. golf. Okay. I played, I, I may be retiring from golf. Really? Well, I played once with you. Yeah. Which yeah. isn't really like golf at all. What does that mean? Well, hit it, hit it and look for John's ball. Oh, so, stop it. Stop it. And, and, and I hit I it, no I hit it stiff. Time. I hit it stiff on the first hole from about 225. And I paid no attention to it. I know you were out, you were, you were in, in the bunker smoking a dart. That's what you're doing. It's unbelievable. Anything to avoid watching your swing. Um, oh, that's, that is so hurtful. It's not the least bit hurtful. You're it laughing is. at it. <laughs> J, JP Morosi, one of our all time favorites, uh, will join us. And um, we had news breaking news, breaking news, breaking news today. And we're going to discuss it. The Indians are no more. They are now the Guardians. And we're going to address that. And I suspect because Morosi is a closet hockey fan. Well, he's not even in the closet. No. He is a hockey fan. Mm. Knowing you, Shannon, you will drag that part of the conversation. I'd uh, rather talk baseball. Well, suspect we'll do both. We'll find out when Morosi joins us after these messages. Uh, it's McCowan. It's uh, Shannon for this uh, Friday. And uh, we are joined by our buddy, our pal, our chum. Uh, J.P. Morosi is uh, with us, and uh, the timing could not be more perfect. Uh, as we sit here and chat and record this, um, the Cleveland Indians have announced in within the last hour that uh, they are changing their nickname from Indians to Guardians. Did you see this one coming? I mean, we know that they've been talking about trying to come up with something, but was the Guardian's name ever rumored? Well, Bob and John, good morning. I always enjoy being with uh, you both here on the podcast. I, for me, a couple things. Uh, number one, historically speaking, there was a, uh, I think, a, a movement behind the Spiders nickname. That was uh, one of the older nicknames for a ball club in Cleveland, obviously going back a long time. That was one that we heard. Uh, I personally was a fan of the Cleveland Dobies to name the, the team after Larry Doby. Uh, but I, I think Guardians is a name that was discussed a little bit, and I think it's a very good choice. It has that same, obviously, from a standpoint of just the, the word itself, it ends in the same way that the current nickname ends. And so there's that symmetry, but it's also very different. And, and it speaks to, I think, uh, Bob and John, you could really interpret the name Guardians in any number of ways. You're thinking about guarding a legacy, guarding uh, as, as, a, as a city on a, on, a, on a lake port, obviously where, where uh, the, the sea is a big part of the, of, the, uh, of the ethos of Cleveland. As you both know, that's part of it. Uh, so there's a lot of different ways to interpret the name Guardians. The logo looks sharp. There's a, it, it reminds fans who wanted to stay connected to the old Indians nickname a little bit more. There are threads of it there, just in the way that the name sounds, mm -hmm. but it's also entirely different. It is obviously something that is entirely apart from the, uh, from any sort of native American or indigenous uh, imagery or, or nomenclature. And I think for all those reasons, it's a very, very good choice. And with the hot, uh, with the hot trend of uh, things like guardians of the galaxy, uh, it could potentially be something for a younger market as well. It's a great point. It's a great point, John. It's it's uh it's something that really can apply any number of different ways. And you wonder, will there be a a mascot? Will there be any sort of uh, logo that's a? Oh, there will a be a mascot. You know, there will be a mascot. There you go. That, so it, it's to me, it's a. And I thought the the video rollout, Tom Hanks narrating it was very good. It was overall, I was. I was very impressed and and happy with the way they went. And, and obviously, this was a process. When you think about it, guys, it's been arguably decades in the making from from yeah. uh, from the original conversations back, I believe, in the 90s about uh, the, the the appropriateness of the original nickname to now today. I think overall it was a, it was a long journey. I, I probably would have, would have liked it to have been a shorter one in terms of it getting started years years ago. But they've gotten to a good place. It's it's I think it's hard for me to imagine anybody saying that this is an unacceptable uh endpoint for this discussion it's it, it's i think it's a very acceptable name and uh good on the the, the club for having a, a lot of thought behind it 
The curious part for me is the timing of this announcement. Um, just before we started, I was asked by our producer, has this ever happened before where a team announced the changing of its nickname in the middle of a season? I can't think of another situation where that's happened. Can either of you? It's a no. great question. I, I can't. Uh, I can't. I, I recall when when uh, when the Washington Bullets became the Wizards, mm-hmm. I believe that was in the offseason. It was. Um, I think yes. everyone that everyone there haven't been that many that have changed, but I think traditionally you would do it in the offseason. We, you know, we were just chatting about all the the myriad of things you have to do. You don't just have to get new uniforms and new hats. You have logos everywhere through the stadium. You have to get new letterhead. You have to get uh, change your your office interior. Hold on, people people use letterhead still. I imagine they do. I <laughs> I suspect that the Cleveland Guardians now have new letterhead and are going to throw the Indians um, letterhead out. And if they throw it out, somebody will will go to the garbage can and grab it and believe yeah. that fifty years from now it'll be worth a, worth a million dollars. Well, and and I, I would point out quickly that they have in recent years moved in terms of the the logo itself. They have phased out the Chief sure. Wahoo logo even before yeah. this year, which was the right decision. And so now you see in many cases it's that block C that is the the standard uh, logo for the club. And I would suspect even as the guardians logo um, is a little different that they may keep that block C as an alternate logo. It's a, I think it's a very iconic and simple C it's it's a good logo. And and I I also think it's important to point out too, that they can keep the same colors, the road uniforms, which I've, which I like are, are the simple gray with the, with the Cleveland in blue script, uh, blue block letters. That's Mm -hmm. a good one. So, I mean, there's, there are some aspects, there are going to be enough of the threads of the heritage of the team from the way that they have looked for a long time that I would hope will reassure some who were opposed to the nickname change. The, the, right. John, the, 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 the two things come to mind for me. First of all, there have been rumblings this season about the, in, the, sorry, the guardians leaving. There have been, there have been a few murmurs that, you know, they're not happy with, I think it's progressive field. Now they're not happy with the stadium. They're not. And, and is there a chance that, long term this baseball club doesn't stay in cleveland which i find hard to believe there's that plus the other question i I have is does that put more pressure on the atlanta baseball club to change its name yeah two great questions i think number one you know there has been some rumbling uh a little bit just about the 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 overall vitality of the business model there given where attendance has been given where the revenues have been uh i i would be stunned if we ever saw the the Me guardians too. leave uh the, it's a charter member of the american league they have had dips in attendance in the past um it's it's a really difficult thing for me to imagine that being said i i think we're entering a time where some very serious questions are going to be asked of multiple franchises about where they are based and what their future is we're already seeing it at oakland right now where in oakland uh, it really does appear to me that that um, MLB is having to have some pretty frank discussions about the possibility of relocating that franchise. Uh, there was a, a, a vote this week in city council in Oakland that was not at all what MLB was hoping. And, and the, the clock is now beginning to tick on Oakland, on Tampa Bay. I, I don't think Cleveland is nearly in that same realm, um, but it, it's worth keeping an eye on on how their business model is going in the future i would expect long term the guardians will remain in cleveland now as it relates to to atlanta i i do think i'll make this point quickly uh i think they should look at their nickname and and give serious thought to changing it uh where they go on it and how much groundswell there is uh, locally there to change it um is is still to be determined one thing you wonder of course the all-star game was moved out of atlanta for reasons that had nothing to do with the nickname this year, but if they change the nickname, if they if they make a, a concerted effort in this area going forward, does that help them get the All Star Game back in the future? Perhaps it will. Well, it raises a point that um, I know I've raised and brought up on numerous occasions, and, and let me clarify exactly what I've said in the in the last fifteen or twenty years since this conversation has become um, upfront. Um, with regard to Native North Americans and and uh, nicknames, 
there are nicknames that are that were used, um, i.e., the Washington Football Team, um, that I understand would be offensive to a great many people. Um, Indians may be among them. The Edmonton Eskimos of the Canadian Football League have recently changed their nickname. Um, The one, and and let me clarify, I've often said a bunch of white people sitting around arguing the merit of, of, of teams changing nicknames because Native North Americans are, are object to it is, is a stupid exercise. Um, the, the answer has always been go to them, find out definitively how offended they are or if they're offended at all and uh, uh, react accordingly. It raises this question for me, guys, would Braves be my connotation of Braves is, is that it, it's almost honorable and, and, and not offensive, but it is still a reference to, um, uh, you know, an historic sector of the population. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I, Bob, I, uh, you know, the uh, uh, North Dakota, uh, University of North Dakota uh, nickname was the Fighting Sioux, which is as honorable. I, I again, for a. Okay. I'll buy. Yeah. Middle aged white guy. Fighting Sioux looks like it's supposed to honor uh, uh, the indigenous people of that area of the United States. But there was a ton of pressure and they had to change. Yep. Uh, so oh, you, I, and you, not... have, you have to be, uh, I, I, you have to be respectful of, uh, of the, of the group and, and go from there. It, it's this, this, this uh, perception that the, that the, the Cleveland baseball team changed, changed, changed quickly, changed in the end without any fuss or muss and made it look like a positive, I think will press pressure a lot of sports teams with these types of nicknames to change. And so, and the next one that will come up will be the Chicago Blackhawks. That, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. And again, um, I offer no real opinion or insight into it. Yeah. And I don't think we should, I think that should be a decision made by those that are directly affected by it. And we should honor that their wishes. Absolutely. Um, the intriguing thing about the guardians potentially leaving is that you will well recall, although I know you pay very little attention to any sporting event that happens in the state of Ohio, Mr. Michigan. <laughs> uh, nonetheless, uh, it was, um, I was going to say not so many years ago, it was quite a few years ago, it seems like yesterday, Art Modell in the middle of the night packed up the bus and the, the Cleveland Browns and moved them to Baltimore in a not dissimilar scenario where he was unhappy with the city and with the stadium and the facilities and the deal that he could get. And he just moved. Um, Is it so far-fetched to think that the Cleveland baseball team, I'm not saying would do the same thing, but Cleveland has lost its hockey team. They've lost its, they lost its football team, eventually got it back. Um, There's a history of this happening, JP. There is, there is precedent. I, I would say that the old Cleveland Municipal Stadium is a fundamentally different place or was a fundamentally different facility than Progressive Field. I, yeah. I, I've always loved Progressive Field. I think the ballpark still works exceptionally well. It's in a great location right next to the basketball arena. It's right downtown. I, I would have a real issue with saying that the facility – was in any way the reason for them leaving. I, I think that's I still agree. A, it's yeah, still a major league. It's still a, for me, a wonderful major league ballpark in, in my opinion. And it was only built in the nineties. And yeah. I realized that, that by the way, we have already seen two parks that were inaugurated in the nineties, Turner field in Atlanta and the, and globe life park in, in Texas have already now moved on. I mean, that's, that's one of the more surprising things that ballparks that, that we recall from the last 25 to 30 years being built are now being phased out. But I would say in in those cases, Arlington and Atlanta location was a significant issue. I'm not sure where you would put a ballpark in Cleveland other than where it is right now. It's in a great spot. Well, and and they they did a marvelous, I mean, having been to Cleveland a few times in the last couple of years, the, the whole concept of what they did with, uh, with, uh, you know, the field house, 
with the baseball stadium, with the football stadium, it was a huge part of revitalizing downtown. Right. Uh, it, it, and, 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 and did change the personality of, of downtown Cleveland, which has to be viewed as a positive. I, I was shocked when I read all this stuff that, that there were rumblings and perhaps it's just uh, ownership trying to get leverage, well, trying, and to attendance- a better, trying to create a, a better business opportunity uh, in a market that, uh, I mean, Cleveland's not growing. That's the one thing you would say. Cleveland as a city is not growing. And so where you're, you're expected to revenues to grow every year, where do the revenues grow? If your city isn't, isn't growing in size, where a lot of the, a lot of the cities in the South half of the United States are growing exponentially. And, and I think John it's, and I was, uh, and sorry to cut you off. I was mentioning about the, the attendance I and mean, attendance there has been low for a long time. That, that, that right. is a fact that you look, it's been one of the lowest attended teams in a while uh, for, for many, many years. And I think this really speaks to the, the unique balance that baseball is trying to strike, whether it's uh, the Cleveland now guardians or, or the league office overall is threading that needle between the heritage of the game and now the, the future of the game. Do you, do you spend and invest a lot of time to your point, moving franchises to Vegas, to Nashville, because you feel like they're going to be the places in the country that are growing the most. How do you mm-hmm. feel about Portland, Oregon? Obviously we, you, the three of us have talked a lot about Montreal in the past. I, I believe firmly that that should be top of the line in terms of, of a franchise moving there because of uh, the size of the city, the market, the media rights in two languages, all the reasons that we've discussed before, but it's this Cleveland is now a microcosm of, of the issues in front of baseball right now. Do you do you double down on the heritage of a charter American League franchise and city and, and really embrace that and, and and sell the 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 history, or do you have to put your product in in markets that are new and exciting and almost separate yourself from that? It's honestly similar things to what the NHL was going through 25 years ago, and in That's some right. cases it's worked, and in some cases it hasn't. Uh, you know, we saw obviously Atlanta go back to Winnipeg, and and the, the situation in Phoenix is still dicey uh, from the standpoint of their building and, and what their future is. So there are some that have been successful and some that are not, and then of course you've got a, a Sun Belt team that is back to back Stanley Cup champion and the model franchise of the league. So it's uh, like a lot of things. There, there's a there's a mixture of great stories and those that are still very much in progress. Well, that's the whole point. Is that there's no commonality in the on-field performance um, as it relates to the desire of the franchise to move. It is, it is principally about attendance. Um, Tampa Bay, of course, has had a, a very good team for a long period of time, can't draw flies. Cleveland Indians have had some very good baseball teams. They have, it's been a while since they had a really bad one, can't draw. Oakland A's have been very competitive for a number of years, can't draw. That, they're talking about Vegas. Um, Baltimore, I don't think is going anywhere, but their attendance is way down, but they've had a crappy baseball team on the field. So it's hard to analyze. And, and, and we like to, we like to put square things in square boxes here, but, but <laughs> sometimes it's not fair to do that. Each situation in many ways is very different, but it's, it's all, it's all about in the, you said attendance, Bob, it's all about, it's all about revenue. Well, and, that's a revenue attendance, you right, know. But I, I no, no, but 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 the other part of this is that that the 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 pot of gold that has been uh, so prevalent for twenty five years uh, in all sports in the United States, in in it, which has been regional television, regional cable sports television, might be drying up. It's it is a changing, shifting uh, dynamic right now with uh, what has gone on with the, the, the people uh, who have bought all the old Fox Sports regionals and, and uh, the Sinclair Group. And th- it is changing. And rights fees aren't growing exponentially anymore. That's the one thing. The other thing is, don't you, and John, this is happening, I know it's happening in our country with legislation coming, but how much are baseball teams now trying and waiting and fingers crossed waiting for uh, gambling money? waiting for sports betting. Well, I, I think we're already seeing those elements become more part of the game. It's if you watch uh, a, a, a large production, the all-star game, for example, uh, you will see advertisements and partnerships with, uh, with sports gambling that you would have never seen five years ago. It's a huge part of the game. And, and I think that 
monetizing those aspects of, of the sport to your point as, as television revenues and, and, and the local television dynamic changes and more, more people who are uh, millennials and younger are perhaps cord cutters and, and, and mm. not getting the normal cable packages as those habits change, you have to find ways to monetize your, your sport in, in different ways to build exactly what you're describing, John, is that sustainable central baseball revenue stream of, in, of infrastructure. And maybe as you look at the pie of your revenues, you have attendance, you have local TV, you have national TV, you have advanced media, you have now sports gambling as part of it. Yeah. And that, that pie is going to shift around different percentages. But if, if the local TV part portion of the pie is going to restrict a little bit, then that's where the the expanded revenues from the the gambling partnerships will fill that gap, and I think we all have to accept that this the sport is changing, and and there there is there are ways, there are certainly ways to have sports gambling revenues part of your sport while maintaining competitive integrity, and I do think that's now going to be one of the key things baseball looks at in the in the years to come. Let me let me ask you a question. I'm going to do a supposition, and I, I'm not suggesting this is going to happen next week. But my fear, and I'm, and I admit, I'm, I'm an old guy. I'm a bit of a television purist as well as a sports purist. But I'm not sure I'm ready for Vladimir Guerrero going to the plate, and a graphic comes up, and an announcer says, "By the way, will Vladimir Guerrero hit a home run? Here's your prop bet, and it's six to one." Whatever. I don't, I, like. I don't even gamble, so I don't even know the the verbiage. No, but John, the, the, I you can say that it's not possible. Oh no no no! I'm, I'm well, I, I had, think it's I think it's going to happen, and I'm not very I, happy about it. I don't I don't think it's going to happen at all. Um, however many people gamble on sports, there are a significant number, at least as many, who do not, and would be grossly offended by that, myself included. And I, you know, I have been in and around the gambling community virtually my whole life. I don't want to see that. Now, if you want to create a secondary channel whether it's a YouTube channel, a computer channel, um, a different channel on my cable or satellite that allows me, has a different feed and has that kind of stuff on the screen. Okay, I'm not watching it, but go ahead. The gamblers can all watch that. But you can't put it on the main, the main channel. I don't think you're ever, ever, ever going to see that. Or you do it through an and app. And I'll be willing to bet you on it. How about that? <laughs> no, I, listen, or, you, or you do it via an app. I mean, and that, sure. and that I think is now yeah, the... Sure. And, and that is where you know, one thing about baseball, and this is and this is where I understand, uh, I, I understand first of all the sensitivities of, of what you're describing, but I'll also one thing about baseball, and we've talked about wherever attendance is, wherever television ratings are. First of all, it's this is a business at its at its at its core. The other part is one thing about baseball that the people in charge of the sport fully realize is that we in, in baseball because of the nature of the game, you have so many natural pauses, inning breaks, the, oh, the yeah. pause between batters that actually, yeah. if you wanted to have discrete amounts of, of wagering within the game, there's probably no better major sport to do it because you could say, Hey, will, so Vlad's walking to the plate, you get onto your app and they could close it off at certain times where maybe you have to almost be in the stadium to, to be able to wager on it. Do you, do you have a, a wager in terms of, do you expect them to walk, hit, record an out, strike out, home run, whatever it is, but you could do that for every single at bat. And, and especially if you're at the ballpark and maybe there's a, maybe there is a, a specific phone that you pick up in a club level seat and you can basically do that the entire evening. It's no. an interesting thought, and it's something that that is that is there. And, and well, let me tell you the. Problem. Listen, I can I can I can I can order my hot dog off my phone. I'm I bloody well better. I'm going to be able to bet on my phone, and that. But that's well, my concern. That's my concern. Yeah, but really guys, is. what here's here's one thing you have to understand is that for every transaction, every proposition that is placed in front of you, somebody, a line maker, a bookmaker, has to determine. Odds. Yeah. Um, not everything is a 50-50 proposition. That takes time. It doesn't necessarily take a long time. But the notion of being able to bet on every swing of the bat or every, even every at bat right now is sort of a foreign enterprise. Not only that, line makers want to be able to adjust that line if they get an overwhelming reaction 
on one side of a proposition or the other. A bookmaker is trying to balance his books. He would like to have the same amount bet on one side of the proposition, the same amount on the other, and then he takes his percentage off, off the losing bets. If, you, if you're doing it that rapidly, you don't have time to, handy, to, um, to set a line. And a line is critical. You know, um, a 120 hitter with no home runs in his career comes to the plate. The chances of hitting a, him a home run, a, him hitting a home run, are not the same as Vladimir Guerrero hitting right. a home run. And somebody's got to make that determination. And is that going to be done at the beginning of a game? Well, it's maybe, but it's not going to be done. It's either somebody, Bob, or some or some automated right. artificial well, intelligence program that does it in real time. Right. And by the way, Bally Sports did not buy 17 rage uh, or create a partnership with Sinclair for 17 regional sports networks to toast bread. They didn't. They did it to do on screen gambling. That's why they did it. Well, I, I John, I acknowledge that. All I'm trying to explain is that this notion that you guys got into of pitch by pitch at oh. this moment in time is, is rather unrealistic and nobody's doing it. I'm not saying it can't be done. Technology is what it is. Oh, there's an algorithm. I guarantee you there's an algorithm. There's a guy in an office in Las Vegas that has an algorithm and he's ready to hit the button. I, I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm being defeatist about it because I, I don't want it to clutter my screen. And if I have a choice, as you talked about, between, you know, the main channel and the gambling channel, I'll take the main channel and I'll be happy. Yeah. But I, I but I but I'll tell you what, I guarantee you during that show on the main screen, they are going to try to drive me to the other channel. And it's a, it's just it's an inevitability right now. Pro, I mean, if I hear I, in the last three years in, in at least three sports, baseball, hockey and basketball i have heard about the growing opportunity of prop bets during games prop bets during games and it's going to happen i don't want it to happen but i'm not a gambler and i don't want it to clutter my screen you make bets ever morosi nope nope <laughs> i don't i really don't it's it's foreign to me i stay out of it i don't, I don't even pick a an ncaa tournament pool i have no no interest in it i no. i uh busy enough with just trying to get the information right in my own little lane. But I, I'm, I'm like, I'm like John from the standpoint of, I just like to look at the, the results as they happen in front of me through the competitive lens. And I don't, I don't. And, and I know I'm, I, and I know I'm in a, I'm a, I'm in an audience that is dwindling. I understand that. And I respect that, but you know what? There is a, at a certain point, there is a freedom of choice. <laughs> um. We want to get to hockey because Morosi, uh, if you, if you, well, don't. can I ask one more question then? Can I, can I just want one more question? I, I couldn't stop you even if I wanted. That's to, a good so point. Go That's a really good point. <laughs> uh, you, you, John, you tweaked me to something about 15 minutes ago before we got onto the gambling thing. Um, and I was thinking about the four commissioners, Roger Goodell, Gary Bettman, Adam Silver, Rob Manfred. I would, I would suggest to you that I think Rob Manfred of the four right now, has the toughest job. I agree. I agree uh, for Why? any number of reasons. Well, first of all, there's a CBA being discussed right now. Uh, relations with the players union have not been great for the last couple of years. I think, I do think they're getting better by the way. I do think they're getting better. Um, so the combination of labor relations plus the, the demographics of the fan base of the sport yeah. uh, moving in the direction that they are. And it's so interesting to me, though, because, guys, we we look at this and you consider the amount of young talent in the game. I, I always chuckle a little bit when people criticize baseball's marketing or, or where we're at as a sport, because if you watch Shohei Otani, Vlad Jr., Acuna when he's healthy, DeGrom when he's healthy, these are these are transcendent players, Tatis we're all young. DeGrom's not super young, but, but still an, an ascendant star. I just named five players who are scintillating to watch play. And I always say, wait a minute. When people say, well, you're not marketing the sport enough. Well, guys, if you like baseball, you love the, the product right now with these yeah. players. Now, I, I granted the, the, the game itself, and this is part of why Rob Manfred's job is so hard. 
the game itself has gone through some challenges. The the, the sticky substance uh, enforcement, the, the Houston bat thing, the Houston, the, the whole Houston sure. issue. You know? That was a huge issue too, and and remains one that that people are still upset about to this day. So there there are some there are some gameplay on the field questions. There are some competitive integrity questions as it relates to the sticky stuff, to the Houston cheating scandal, etc. But at the end of the day, guys, we have in this sport so much incredible young talent yeah. that I really take issue with with the with the critics who say, "Well, baseball's done a poor job of marketing the sport." To me, I, I think. If, if someone says that, there's a very high chance they're not watching the sport anyway or don't love the sport anyway. It's it's not baseball's job to convince you to love baseball if you're not already predisposed to enjoy the game. It, it's it's a really I, I really think that sometimes baseball is held to an unfair standard there. And and if you watch Otani, what he does, and Tatis and Vlad, and you say, ah, no thanks. Well, yeah. then then I'm sorry, then you're probably not a baseball fan to begin with. This, this is our sport. We're proud of it. There's no need for me to, to apologize for it or, or to bend over backwards for those that aren't going to necessarily watch your sport on a regular basis anyway. Yeah, see, I, th- 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 that's, that was kind of, that's kind of my point, uh, John. And, and like, like the, 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 I did watch a bit of the All-Star game. and I don't think I watched all of it. But I was amazed at how many new faces, new young faces. I, and I believe the number was of, the 60 players over there, 40 were new, were there for the first time. And it really indicated to me that the, the youth movement within baseball and the ta- young talent within baseball was just exploding. And, and so, but I, I think with the, the rules that need to be changed, the length of games, the relationship with the players, I just see Rob Manford just getting bombarded every day with, with another challenge, another challenge, right. another challenge. And the other guys, the other guys seem to be even Bettman, you know, and Seattle's had a good week for him. Even Gary is at the point where saying, Hey, I'm having a great day today. I don't see Rob Manford having many great days right now. And that must be frustrating. Well, I'll make one point quickly. We saw at the all-star game, one of my favorite things, and John, you can appreciate this with, with your long history in television, the ability to mic up players and have them talk with Joe Buck and John Smoltz during the game, which again, it's, you can't really do that during a world series game, but that, that is deciding a championship, but for an all-star game where you're, you're marketing your stars, that was a great job by Fox and, and their crew, Pete Machesca and Matt Gangle and, and John and Joe to do it that way. And then I think by the players, you have to credit them for being open-minded. It's not easy to wear a live mic when you're playing a baseball game and you're broadcasting your words all around the world. I just think that was a really cool insight. And again, when you watch that broadcast, John and Bob, and you see Freddie Freeman and how, how genuine he is, and, and you see the emotion and the collegiality of the players, I think everybody turned off the TV that night feeling, feeling like they really got to know the stars of today a lot better and yeah, they but felt who, more connected. Who was watching the game? It's guys like us who are already baseball fans. That isn't the issue. The issue is, how do you increase the viewership? How do you get the younger generation to absorb the game, to love the game the way we did a variety of years ago? John and I a little more than you, but nonetheless, you grew up a baseball fan, so did we. Today, there are fewer and fewer young people that are gravitating towards baseball. And I I, want to point this out, too. I'm intrigued by your notion of this. I'm the crotchety old guy, get off my lawn. Uh, I make no apologies for that. I hate this idea, but I'm I'm coming to the point where I'm going, I don't know what else you can do. Baseball has, uh, we saw seven inning doubleheader for the, for the Toronto Blue Jays, what, about a week or so ago, 10 days yeah, ago. Yeah. Double I shutout. Gotta, I got to tell you, the seven inning baseball game, they have not been able to figure out how to shorten these games. If anything, they just get longer and longer. Um. Maybe a seven-inning game is where we should be headed. The problem with that, of course, is it takes the record books and history and essentially throws it out the window, right? Yep. Right. And you basically start over. No, no game that I can think of has undergone that dramatic a change. I mean, Bob, this was a sport, this was a sport that could couldn't fathom going from 154 to 162. Uh, in the amount of games played in a season and how, how that would affect the record book. I mean, it took how many, I mean, there are still people that think it's not fair. So, well, you know, I'd go back to 154, but, but the, that's not the issue that doesn't get you more fans having eight fewer games 
or more playoff. No, teams. but that, that, no, it, that I'm just talking about how it affected the record book. I'm talking about how do you turn what used to be Roy Halliday got on the mound. You guys remember this Roy Halliday got on the mound yeah. and two hours later, you were looking for something else to do because the game was over. Yeah. Well, that doesn't happen anymore. Now we're at three plus three plus a lot, sometimes four hours for a nine inning baseball game. That's no good. Uh, the TV networks aren't going to cut down the commercial time. Um, pitchers are not speeding up play. You can put a clock up there, but that clock's going to probably be what, what's the one they use in the minor leagues, Morosi? 25 second clock? Right. It's around there. Yes. That's not going to tangibly speed things up. You know, maybe that, maybe that carves a minute or two off the game. The problem isn't a minute or two, the problem is a half hour or more. Well, I, I will say this, it, it, a lot of it, and this goes back to something Commissioner Selig would always talk about, it's not the pace or the time of the game, but the pace of the action. And you want things happening with balls in play. And one thing, with all the controversy of the sticky stuff and, and, all, and, and the immediate blowback to the, to the enforcement, you've had one person suspended, Hector Santiago, one suspension. And while the, the checks are a little awkward, they have had their desired effect, which is we are seeing more balls in play. Mm -hmm. We're seeing more offense and we're seeing the games that the pace of them, they're a little bit quicker now, or at least there's more action per minute spent at the ballpark. I still don't think it's enough to lure a new, a new generation of fans, but um, we have to take a break, John. So Bob, let's uh, go to commercial. Let's go to commercial. Thank you. Um, Morosi is with us. We're going to take a pause and then we're going to talk hockey because that's what he loves. Back after these messages. It's McCowan, it's Shannon, it's uh, John Paul Morosi. We didn't even uh, get to Nelson Cruz. Well, you guys decided at the beginning of this show, let's, well, let's talk some hockey. So I've now given you 38 minutes of baseball talk. You're so generous. Well, you know, we don't have all that much time. for. What hockey. about Nelson Cruz, John? All right, quickly on Nelson Cruz. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays get Cruz. I thought that all along he was a better fit there than he would have been in Toronto. I don't think that any Jays fans should be worried about the work of uh, Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins and not getting uh, Nelson Cruz. Uh, he was a better fit in Tampa all along. They paid a good price for him. Uh, he's going to really help them. That, that's a bat that they were lacking last year during the World Series. So the division got a lot tougher. Uh, there's no question about it. And now I think it's up to the Jays from my perspective, to shore up their starting pitching with a controllable starting pitcher oh. and maybe get a get a bullpen piece in the same deal. Well, Man. there's a couple names. I, I would say one team to watch. We see the Twins are open for business right now mm. with trading Cruz to Tampa. I would say this. Jose Barrios in the rotation and then Rodgers as well out of the bullpen. That combination, that tandem would be incredibly appealing. And if I'm the Jays, I would give up a Nate Pearson as part of that deal. I would give up either Groshans or Martin as part of that deal. This is a team that can win it, at least win the division if they really get going right now. But this is a dangerous playoff team. And you cannot spoil and waste a season in which you've got Marcus Semyon entering free agency, who's very quickly become a really important player on this team. And you've got Vlad playing like a triple crown winner. These, these are years where when you've got key contributors like this playing at their peak, you can't waste the opportunity. So I, I think for the Jays, to, to find a deal where you can get a starter and reliever in the same trade from one team is where they should go right now. So, so how much of the future do you mortgage for the Jays? As long as the player is controllable, you give up. I, I would trade Nate Pearson today. If I, if it got me a Jose Berrios or a Luis Castillo or a Herman Marquez, and I would actually, I would include a Groshans or a Martin if I had to, I, mm -hmm. I would, uh, because I think Pearson he has not been consistently healthy. I have worries about his consistency right now. Um, and, and the Jays, as their rotation currently sits, it, it's not good enough to win the division right now. And they need more. And, oh, by the way, they have to protect against the future because Robbie Ray is only on a one-year deal. So they have to look at what their 2022 rotation looks like as well. Although Robbie Ray has indicated uh, he, he likes the organization and wants to stay. Uh, he signed very quickly during the offseason to this one-year deal. Uh, really didn't explore very much else. Um, anyway, we'll, there's lots of, lots of places to go with that conversation. Sure. Can we please now? I, I can't believe I'm asking you. Yeah, to I'm ready for hockey. I've, I've been ready for hockey since the top of the show. All right. Let me start with, uh, by saying this. Um, 
it's too early to know whether Seattle did a good job or a bad job on Wednesday um, with the expansion draft. But I'll tell you, there's the more I think about it, the more I look around and the less I hear. I don't, I, I think they did a, um, a mediocre to poor job of mm. assembling talent. I think they overestimated what teams would give them to protect players. And I don't think they're going to come within miles of what Vegas accomplished. And we shouldn't use that as the bar because that was extraordinary. But they don't look anything close to a playoff team to me. Your thoughts? I, I think they're a playoff contender. I do. I think that they... Only they're... because they're in the Pacific. Exactly. So a few things are, are the reason why. Number one, to John's point, the division, you've got the, the three California teams who have all been very strong at different points in the last decade are now all rebuilding in various stages. So I, I, I really think right now the roster that Seattle has on paper at this moment is better than the three California teams. So then you're basically talking about, okay, can you find a way to crack into the top three with, with obviously Vegas being the, probably the best team in this division. And then can you finish ahead of one or two of Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, Calgary's got a roster that is, as we know, very much in transition. They just lost their captain to Seattle. I, I think that I think Seattle's goaltending is going to be better than, than people expect. I think Drieger is a, is a more than capable goaltender. His numbers in the regular season were actually better than prices from a standpoint of goals against. He's a, he's a good goalie. And, and their defense is going to be, I think, excellent. I, I'm a big fan of Alexiak, big fan of Larson. I think Giordano is going to be very good. I've mm-hmm. always liked Dunn. Susie is a good player from Minnesota. I think that their defensive core is solid. And one thing, Bob, that, that I really think, and I'll be curious to hear John's thoughts on it too, Vegas making the cup final in year one, to your point, Bob, was a total anomaly unique set of circumstances for a variety of reasons. Remember this, the cap is going to be flat for a while. Who is the only team in the NHL that looks at their books right now and says, we have zero contracts on our books that we would have rather not signed. The only team is Seattle. Everybody else signed a deal at some point in time in the last few years that they don't love. They've had one day of signing contracts, right? Well, that, but that's the point. And so, and so Bob, for me, if you're, if you're charting a course for the organization, you have two options. Either you go all in to try to win the cup in year one, which means you would take take a chance on a Ryan Johansson or you would go and get JV, JVR or Voracek from the Flyers or Price or Tarasenko and just go all in all, all these contracts to have the best possible team in year one. Or, or you take a more cautious approach with respect to the cap while realizing that at the deadline this year and the next off season, you're going to have other teams in the league who are feeling the pain of the choices they made two and three years ago. when they, when they thought the cap was going to be going up, trust me, Seattle's going to get good players at the deadline this year. And at the, at the summertime next year who are directly related to bad decisions that happened years ago, where they can now take advantage of other teams mistakes. All right. Well, just quickly before John jumps in, um, you know, you, you called Vegas an anomaly. Well, they, they may have been an anomaly, but they were not a fluke. This is a team that has been competitive at the top of the NHL sure. for four years now. So that was no fluke. The job that they did in putting that team together was beyond brilliant. And yes, it wasn't all just draft day. It was deals done before and deals mm-hmm. done after. But how many draft choices did they did? did McPhee wound up with seven, something like that. Did he trade well, yeah, for John? It, oh, he had more than that. Maybe he 11. Almost, yeah. He, he, I think he, he more than doubled. He more than doubled his, 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 you know, you start with seven. So you, you I think he more than doubled what he had. He had three first round picks the first year because of the, well, what he did. Well, oh, that's right. The pro, his asset management, some people will sit here and compl- and, and criticize uh, Vegas's asset management because all of those draft picks, are gone. Yeah. He, he, he traded them to get, I mean, in the end, Nick Suzuki Suzuki for Max, Max Pacioretty, who was, who was better in that series. It was Nick Suzuki was better in that series. Uh, You know, they, they, there are some things there. Listen, I, I, I think what, what Vegas did was remarkable. The, 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 the issue for me with Seattle is I don't agree with you on the goaltending, John. And I don't agree with you on the forwards. I do agree on the, on the defense and because I think they're big and they're, you know, they're strong and, and they're going to be a force in that division. 
Um, but I, I also trust Ron to think that he has a bit of, he must have some sort of plan. You know, there are teams that are, are in cap hell right now, like Tampa, that are going to be forced to get rid of. Julian Breezebois has already admitted he has to get rid of a couple of players more in order to be camp compliant before the season starts. So that's going to be where Ron Francis becomes, you know, their, their guardian angel to save them from themselves. And he's going to end up with better players, but I do think, I think they're going to go and find another goaltender. I really believe that. Uh, and I think they need to find some goal scoring. I just don't know like Brandon Tanov. I love Jonas Donskoy. I, I really like Jared McCann can shoot the puck, but I'm not, I'm not satisfied that they're the, the guys that can score goals for me in the right. long term. Well, so, go ahead. Would you have, would you have taken Bailey instead of Eberly? Totally. Okay. I would have taken Josh Bailey and I would have taken Jake Bean out of Carolina too. Yeah. He's uh, a good puck that, defenseman. Sure yeah. he is. But that's, you know, but, and you know, that's, Hey, that's the, the conjecture of, they took 30 players. I will, I'll be, I will wonder how many of the 30 players and they only, you know, can only dress 20. How, sure. uh, how, how many of the 30 will be in the opening night roster on October 12th against the golden Knights. Well, and they can also trade, as you know, John, there's a, they can trade some of the defensemen given how much need there is across the league for defense. And yeah. I also think that one thing we don't know, and this is one of the great things about hockey is, is with different usage patterns for a player like, Yanni Gord for, for other, other players that might be able to increase their, their goal scoring output when they're getting the prime power play time, when they're getting uh, all the primo offensive zone starts on draws, those kinds of things can boost a player's production somewhat organically sure. just with a different role. And that, but, that's what but, I'm curious but, about. But, but they, that's a cup half full mentality. And the challenge becomes is maybe Yanni Gord was best used as the sure. third line center and, and when he gets the prep being the number two guy or the number one guy, he doesn't perform as well. There's a, there's a, there's another side of that. Sure coin, and that's really, that's really the challenge. I mean, look at, uh, there are tons of players that when they get elevated to the top six, just don't perform at that. You're right. And, and they have to know, is there, is there a Marsha? So on this team, we don't know that yet. We don't know right. if there's a Carlson on this team. And the one guy that I would say that, that maybe a Voracek would have been, or, or a JVR would have been, I think the, the one player that I'm not seeing an analog for on this roster, John and Bob is, is James Neal. When, when Vegas had James Neal, James Neal was a veteran winger who could score goals. And he, he was, he had presence about him, that confidence that you guys both know well that James has, that was a huge part of that Vegas team. And, and I don't know that there's a player on this Seattle roster who reminds me of James Neal. And I think, I think though that was an automatic, almost like mark it down 20 plus goals. Don't worry about it. And I'm not so sure how many players that uh, this Seattle team has like that. Well, I agree. And I, I mean, I think we have to mention Carlson to a guy who came essentially came out of nowhere and scored 44. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, is there that guy on this roster in Seattle right now? Well, you don't know. You just, you just don't know. Don't know. You just don't know. They don't have very, if they have one position that they, I think they would admit that they're a little light on and that that's center, mm -hmm. which is the one of the toughest positions wow. to, to, sure. to, uh, to populate and, in the NHL. Correct. And by the way, it's not as though the free agent class is, is rich in that area either. No. There's not, there are not a bunch of centers out there to sign. I mean, unless do you go the veteran route, look at it, someone like a Paul Stastny and see if he'll come in and play center to sort of help your lineup depth at that position. Maybe, but again, Paul Stastny is not going to be a 80 point player right now, necessarily. You Paul know? Stastny wants to play on a contender. Yeah, right. Exactly. You now that's why he went back to Winnipeg. He thought he was going to a contender. Well, let's be honest. Every player, if they were given truth serum, would say they want to play for a contender and win a Stanley Cup. Nobody wants to go wants to go to an expansion team unless you're a young player who isn't being given an opportunity where you are and you understand that you're blocked from ever getting that opportunity. And the opportunity isn't just to play a lot or score more goals. It's to make money. If you, no, if but what, no, but what's going to happen, what, what, what's going to happen next uh, next week on the 28th is that there's going to be lots of players that I think Ron will go after and he'll get, he'll offer that player three and a half million dollars to sign in Seattle. And another team that has more upside right now will offer the same and a single year deal. And the player will opt not to go to Seattle. Well, of course, that's my point, John. Yeah. Nobody will apples to apples. You're not going to an expansion team because the prospect of winning at the end of all this, these are all athletes and the objective is to win. 
Yes, you want to make a lot of money, but you want to win. The prospect of winning in Seattle is not imminent. Even with the Vegas history, Vegas turned that, like a team, if Vegas and Seattle were um, in competition for the same player, where are you going to go? Well, and there's no question, too, that Vegas is a Vegas. substantially better team now than they were in year one. God, yeah. this, I mean, even, even as they fell to Montreal in that series, you look at the, at the talent on that roster, Petrangelo, Pacioretty, Stone, Martinez, uh, Leonard. I mean, they, they had stars that were not part of that inaugural team. They just didn't score goals at the end. Stone had a bad series. Max had a bad series. You know, a couple bounces here and there, and if they have a better series by a couple players, they probably win that series. It's just, it, and Petrangelo was tremendous. He was one of the, he was probably still the best player in the series on either team. You're right. So there's 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 a lot to like about this Vegas roster now, and and uh, they're going to remain the standard. And oh, by the way, they'll be in the very same division as Seattle here as they get going. Yeah, their offense went ice cold against Montreal, and that was the end of that. That was the difference. Well, we'll have lots of time to talk about the Seattle Kraken. Um, but it won't be today because we've kept you long enough. Well, no, I just admit, we got it. We got to talk to John about the, the Michigan draft. We got to no, talk. This is the isn't this the Michigan no, we draft? Right. Sure. This is we should actually be hosting. I mean, Bob and John, if if you'd like to send a message to Commissioner Bettman, I mean, I would actually propose that we have the entire draft in ann arbor yeah because that's where that's where all the talent is bob many, as you well know many, my friend how many how many in the top 10 four or so five I, I think four i think we get four i think okay. it's going to be power one veneers two to seattle yeah i think luke hughes is going to be a top five pick and then i think kent johnson goes 10th or a little bit earlier yeah. and and they're all oh. guys so talented this is gonna be the first team how about this michigan with with and, and i know bob's rolling his eyes behind those sunglasses but with you got power one Veneers, too. It's going to be the first team since the Montreal Junior Canadiens of 1969. That's Bob Leaves. The first team since 1969 to have the number one and number two overall so picks. That was, that was Power what, and Matty Veneers. And that was uh, Mark Tardif and Reggie who? The, the Reggie who? Exactly. That's it. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. 1969. You got it. You got I have it. Nothing more to say. Oh, stop. <laughs> stop. No, it, it, I, I, and I loved your piece with the, the boys uh, that was on, uh, Thank you, John. on the Thank NHL you. network. It was, it was solid. I, the, the wonder, I, I really do have my fingers crossed that, that somehow, some way that uh, either the devils or the Canucks yeah, me can too. get, can get uh, Luke to play uh, with, with either Jack or Quinn. I really it'd be do. a lot I of fun. And cool. I think that'd be cool. I, I'd love it. And, and it's, it's interesting walking in they're, they're such a wonderful family. Jim and Ellen are just inc incredible people. And uh, it was fun to walk to their home. They have in their, in their garage, uh, you know, of course the, the very popular tailgate game that they would have in Columbus or Ann Arbor cornhole, right? Those, those, uh, so like the beanbag tossing. So there's those, the, the cornhole boards in mm -hmm. that garage. There is one that's painted up with the Canucks and one that's painted up with the devils. And so I wondered, like my big question walking in was, do they need to get a third one or not? Right. Is there, is there not going to be the need to get a third one after the draft? It's, it's going to be so much fun. What an amazing family. And uh, they've already done a lot for us hockey and uh, certainly more to come in the years. Well, and, and I, I, Jimmy was with the Maple Leafs when I was at the Maple Leafs and sure. he's an unbelievably uh, uh, wealth of knowledge and it, it, it's rubbed Tremendous. off on the kids, rubbed Tremendous off on family. the kids. Yeah. He and Ellen both. I mean, just their, their knowledge of the game and, and just to, to, to be there and, and uh, just sort of absorb the, the love in the family and the conversations right. about the game is a, is a really treat but but to, to 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 finish my part just to drive bob nuts even more i mean mel Pierce, mel 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 pearson deserves a ton of credit yes i mean what, what this guy has done and and red berenson's a, is a friend of mine and I, i've spent a lot of time with red over the years but what mel pearson has done to recruit players to play in ann arbor is absolutely unbelievable it really is. It really is. And, and I'll, I'll make this last little note to kind of tie it all into a bow about the top of the draft. And, and you'll appreciate this. So of course, as you know, the Hughes family was living in Toronto for a while when Jim mm -hmm. was, was working there on the same field lacrosse team was Owen power playing attack, not defense, by the way, he's playing attack in, in field lacrosse. He was playing on the same field lacrosse teams as Jack and Luke Hughes wow. in alternating years. So how about that? You could have gone to a field in Mississauga, in lacrosse and seen three top 10 picks and maybe, and two overall NHL number one picks playing on the same lacrosse team. 
Well, I, I want to say, uh, honestly, uh, how pleased I am that um, Michigan has uh, produced such great hockey players because you haven't had a good football player in so many years. <laughs> I, hey, I, yeah. no, no yeah. argument here, Bob. No argument here. Well, you can't argue. It's an impossibility. It's Except the, I mean, the, the GOAT's still playing. The GOAT is still playing. He is. Yeah, he, I, I believe he won the Super Bowl, Bob. Is that true still? <laughs> yeah. And he played at Michigan 25 years ago. 20 years ago. 20 years ago, exactly. Well, yeah, and he wasn't even the number one quarterback when he started there. So, right? Wow. And he wasn't that great when he was at Michigan either. I got news for you. Oh, yeah. What, he got to it after what, he what, escaped. What, what, are you going to bring up Rex Kern and Arch Schleister? What are you going to do? <laughs> we all... <laughs> Well, but now you're going back to the Woody Hayes era and and uh, and Schembechler and and I acknowledge back then Michigan was the better team. They had oh. the better teams. Okay, that of course is a lifetime ago. Okay, we could do an entire hour on on that Go rivalry alone. But we I, might, I will I will we might do, well. We might do that anyway. We've been doing it for 20 years anyway. That's true. All right, get lost. It's lovely <laughs> to see you as always, um, and uh, we'll uh, we'll bug you somewhere soon. Okay. I love the conversation, my friends. Really enjoyed it. Happy draft day. It's going to be a lot of fun tonight. Thank you so much. See you, Morosi. JP Morosi. We'll come back after these messages. Our thanks to uh, JP Morosi for uh, being Boy, he was, he was on a roll today. Well, more you were on a roll. You wouldn't shut up. Well, it was fun. It was good talking. Dragging talk. the conversation out. No, ones. not dragging it out there. I mean, just reflecting what the, what the listeners want to hear about. All what these things. How do you know what the listeners? I talk to the, I talk to the people. Well, stop doing that. That will you do know, you no good whatsoever. I talk to the people. If they were as smart as you and I, they'd have their own podcast. Don't, don't, by the them, way, don't 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 say that. They probably do. Most of them do. Yeah. <laughs> God, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting the podcast someplace, right? Yeah, the days of one podcast and it's just ours. Um, we're actually coming up to our 200th episode in about a week. Really? Um, I don't know how we're going to celebrate. Maybe we won't. 200. I mean, come on, 200. How many, how many shows do you think you did? Oh, I used to know the exact number. Like Uh, 30,000, 30,000. Yeah. Well, no, no, you you know, on telegraph. Uh, I'd have to do the math. Um, no, it's not 30,000. I took, I've taken over 50,000 phone calls. Wow. Well, you, but you won't take mine. I'm sorry, your name was again? Yeah, that's right. First time caller, Bob. Well, that would have got you through. <laughs> I can't remember the shows. It's about, I'm going to guess, 12,000 shows. And do you remember any interviews? Like, does this somebody other than, you can't say Ali. Do you remember any interviews? Or are they well, just well, why can't I say Ali? Because because that's like that's like that's an anything but Gretzky, anything but McDavid thing. You know, you can't say that because that's easy. That's easy. Ali, Bear Bryant. Okay, Bear Bryant. Okay, Jim Brown. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and but then, no, the answer is generally no. Yeah, and I think you know that about me. I walk out of the studio and I, I just, well, I shut well, that door. Because so, we have mutual friends uh, that we work with over the years, and and somebody will say, "Hey, do you remember the game we did in 1991? And it was such a great game, and so and so had five goals." And I will say, "I have no recollection. <laughs> I have no recollection of that event." I, I, this is an honest to god truth truism, for and I think you know this, but for people watching or listening, I cannot tell you how many times. We got off the air at seven o'clock Eastern time. It took me 20 minutes to come home. There'd be people in my backyard and somebody would ask me, I didn't hear the show. Who'd you have on today? <laughs> and I would go, I don't remember. 20 minutes after the oh, show. I, I believe that. I just, yeah, it's gone. It's the magic alive. In any event, uh, John, you have yourself a good weekend. Okay. Thank you, Bob. Olympics has started. Oh yeah, opening ceremonies were this morning. Yeah, so this morning Olympics tonight. Have started. Well, actually, Olympics have started. Actually, they started two days ago. NBC, in their inimitable fashion, will be airing the opening ceremonies in um, in September. <laughs> no, no, come on. People are used to. I mean, they ran them live this morning. They ran them live this morning. Then they're going to hell with them, them tonight. To hell with NBC and the U.S. networks who treat the Olympics like a toy. 
and run nothing live and everything on tape delay. Uh, I don't think the that's true anymore. That. I don't think that's true anymore. <clears throat> Whether it's CBC or CTV or TSN or, or uh, Sportsnet, at least it's live. Oh, at yeah. least it's live. Yeah. Yeah. I will adjust my schedule if I'm so inclined, but do not play NBC and put it on at eight o'clock at night because you want it in prime time and then pretend it's live. And that's what they've been doing for years and to hell with them. Thank you very much. The next speech will be on Monday. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.